There are few things actually in this world, in this life, in your life, that are uh, guaranteed. Just very few things in our lives that are actually guaranteed. There's no guarantee in your lifetime that you're going to land that dream job or have that, you know, kind of fulfilling career where passion meets calling and a really large paycheck. Like, there's no guarantee of that actually happening. There's no guarantee in your lifetime that you will always be able to live in or around the greatest city in the world, Chicago. There's no guarantee that you'll always be able to be in and around and a part of this city. There's no guarantee in your lifetime that the Cubs will ever go all the way. These are just truths that we have to learn to live with. There's just no guarantee about, really honestly, most things in our lives. There's really no guarantee in your life about them. But I can guarantee you with absolute certainty that in your lifetime, you will experience pain. I can actually guarantee you that. A lot of things in life that we have no guarantee about, but one thing that we do have a guarantee about is you will experience pain. Jesus himself said this, in this life, you will have trouble. He said it as someone who had experienced it himself. Like A lot of things uncertain, but this one thing is, all of us at some level either have or are or will experience pain and loss. From high school heartbreaks to lifelong heartaches. From the death of someone you love that was close to you to the death of a dream that just seemed off in the distance. From being unable to keep a marriage together to being unable to start a family together, all of us at some level are guaranteed in this lifetime that we will experience pain. That's the whole message I have for you this morning. That's it. So let's pray. No, there's more actually. There's more, there's more to the story than that, as we're going to see here in a moment. There's more to the story than that. And for those of you who are in the middle of, or have already experienced, or are in the middle of a season of pain or loss, at whatever sort of scale or capacity it is in your life, my hope for you in our time together this weekend is that you would find hope. And that you would actually ultimately find the healing that God has for you, and that as we'll see in a moment, he would not only restore what has been broken, but redeem it. And for those of you who have yet to experience any sort of great pain, if you're being really honest, any sort of real pain or loss in your life, example, I had a friend of mine, an author guy who's a friend of mine and, you know, t- tells the world about God. And when we were having lunch years back, he was 35 at the time. And he said, you know, Jared, the truth is I have yet to go to the funeral of someone I love. I've been to a few funerals, but no one I know has died. And I thought, oh man, it's coming because there's few guarantees in life, but one of them is you will experience pain. And so for those of you who have yet to really experience any great loss or pain in your life, my hope for you in this time is that you will hear from God and have sort of what you need to be able to walk through that pain in that season Well, because what you do with your pain really, really, really matters. What you do with your pain matters. Where you take your pain or where your pain takes you is very, very important stuff. And pain can have incredible power in our lives. We looked at doubt last week and the power that it can have. Pain is no different, but pain is much more up in our face. 
And pain has the power to either wreck your life or transform your life, depending on what you do with it, more specifically, where you take it to, and most specifically, whom you take it to. Pain has the power to direct, without you even realizing it, direct the major decisions of your life. Pain has the power to wreak havoc on your relationships, has the power to hijack your future, and pain has the power to limit and inhibit your relationship with God. I'm sure that you have seen this. If not in your own life, at least in the life of someone else around you. Just kind of think about some of the people maybe in your life or in your family or maybe people you work with or at school with and class with. You ever know anyone who, for no good reason, just flies off the handle and at the drop of a hat just gets so angry or so bent out of shape or so stressed and worked up? You ever met anyone like that? Is it possible that maybe that sort of reaction comes from a place of pain that is yet to be dealt with with God? It goes all the way back to something they learned as a kid from some wound they picked up along the way. You ever met anyone who's just addicted to drama? They're just addicted to drama in their lives. There's always something going on in their family that seems chaotic, because it most likely is, or something in their relational world where things are out of control. And for these folks, when things tend to get calm or peaceful, they go and make drama because they are so addicted to the drama. And maybe you've gotten caught up in that or have someone in your family who's like that. Could it be that that comes from a place of a wound early on that has yet to be dealt with? yet to have God sort of work that out. And so this is sort of how they react to life and what it brings them. You ever met anyone that's just so negative about everything? No matter kind of how you paint it or what you bring to them, they, they just have sort of the Eeyore response to everything. They're just negative Nellies about anything that you happen to bring up to them. We were dropping our kids off at swim lessons yesterday and watching them doing swim lessons. And as I'm walking out, I heard a conversation between a little girl about eight years old and her dad. And she was watching some of the more advanced swimmers swimming. And she said, Daddy, am I going to learn that? And I heard him say, I, I don't know, maybe, probably not. We'll see. <laughs> it's like, Dad of the Year Award right there. Like, that's phenomenal way to instill belief in your child. I don't know, probably not. We'll see. You ever met anyone like that? It's quite possible that that reaction to life comes from a deep, wound that they may not even be aware of, but most certainly, if it is, it's most likely a place that God has yet to heal or redeem in their life. It's amazing how a wound left unhealed can leave you stuck right where you're at in life. Life moves on, but your soul stays stuck at that wound. It stays stuck. This is why you can be a 45-year-old man, but a 13-year-old with your emotions. And you kick and scream and have to have things your way because something happened somewhere that you didn't allow God to deal with in your life. This is why you can be a, a mom, a parent to your own kids, or even a grandparent, but you are still acting and reacting to something you heard when you were a little girl and your soul got stuck at a wound when you were a child. And until God is allowed to come into that space, that space you stay stuck. It's amazing when we see it in other people. It's painful when we see it in our own lives. If we're honest enough to look at our own lives and see where those tendencies might be in us. You ever wonder why it is that you are so afraid of commitment? Why you continue to hijack your closest relationships? Where that fear of intimacy comes from? Could it be that it's connected to a place of pain that is yet to be dealt with with God? 
You ever wonder why you keep staying stuck in that addictive behavior and you want to sort of move past and you want to kind of get on and get over, but you keep coming back to it and then you feel so terrible about it. You go into a little shame spiral and then to get yourself out of that, you go back to it again. You ever wonder where that started or where that came from or what wound or pain that might be attached to? You ever wonder why it is that you have such a cynical outlook on life? Cynical outlook. You're so skeptical and cynical about other people. You just, you're, you kind of judge and mistrust people before you ever meet them. And we live in a culture now where people like get paid salaries to do that online. You ever wonder where that cynicism comes from in you? Could it be that that's attached to or connected to some place of pain that you have experienced and you have yet to allow God fully in? And so consequently, you are stuck. You're stuck emotionally. You're stuck mentally. Your thoughts keep going back to that event, that summer, that relationship, that time in your life. You're stuck relationally. All of your other relationships are somehow seemingly affected by this pain that happened way before you even met these people. And you're stuck in your relationship with God spiritually. The truth about us as human beings is simply this. Until God is invited into your pain, that is where you're going to remain. Until God is invited into your pain, that's where you will remain. This is why you can move on in life, but your soul stays stuck. And emotionally and relationally and spiritually, you're still acting like a toddler or a teenager. And you wonder why it doesn't all add up. Could it be that maybe it's connected back to a place that you never fully allowed God in or have yet to even known that he is interested in coming in and healing, and ultimately redeeming. Because the truth is about us, and the truth is about God. Until God redeems that, whatever that may be, until God redeems that pain, until he redeems it, you're going to repeat it. It's inevitable. You are going to keep playing that thing out on the rest of us, and most especially on yourself. Until God, as you allow him to redeem it, you are going to continue to repeat it in job after job and relationship after relationship and season after season. Until we can learn how to sort of move past blaming God as the source for our pain and begin to name God as the source of our healing, you're going to stay stuck. Until God is invited into your pain, that is where you're going to remain. And maybe that's right where you walked in to the doors of this church this weekend. You are stuck in some pain. And you're stuck in a pattern that goes back to a wound from when you were a little kid. And I just want to encourage you that there's an upside to your pain. There's actually an upside to this thing. First of all, it's that you are not alone. The truth is you walked into a room filled with other people who are carrying their own burdens as well. Now, what happens to us is we get so blinded by our own pain that all we end up seeing is ourselves. We, we don't see that others might actually be in their own sort of pain that their own, you know, they're trying to manage and carry in their own way. We don't even see the hope and healing that God has for us. And so when our eyes are only on ourselves, we miss the fact that we're surrounded by people all around us who are actually carrying their own levels of pain and their own ways of dealing with it and coping with it. You are actually not alone. It should be very comforting to know that you're in the company of really messed up people <laughs> just like you people who are hurting and broken and who are in desperate need of a healing and hope-filled God. Just like you. You're not alone. And the real upside, the real, the true upside to your pain is that you're not alone because there's a God who's actually closer than you think.
a God who is closer than your circumstances may have convinced you. There's a God who has always been there with you and for you, even in your darkest and most painful hour. He is closer than you think. David writes these words in Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves his word. He saves. He doesn't just patch. He doesn't just kind of help get along, put a cast on. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is close, and he saves. The Lord is closer than you can think. And so not only are you alone in the company of those around you, but you are never alone because of the presence of a comforting God who is with you and is for you. And he is here ready to walk you through the reality of the pain and loss in your life that all of us are going to suffer. It's kind of guaranteed. Jesus even told us so. But we have a God who will walk us through it. And I think that's very important because a lot of sort of, you know, steps and strategies and even well-intentioned religious strategies typically tend to, when it comes to our pain, try and get us around it or over it or just put a mask on so we don't have to deal with it. But that's not who God is. God is a God who says, I'm going to walk with you through your pain. This is why David is able to say in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the darkest valley, I will not fear because my God is with me. He walks with me through. Doesn't always pull us out, but walks with us through, even our darkest and most painful hours. And I'm not exactly sure why it is that that you got up and got dressed and, and got here today, but I would venture a guess that for some of you, that's the whole reason you came today. It's because either you didn't know or you have forgotten that your God loves you and he has not forsaken you and he has not forgotten you and he is closer than you think even in your deepest, darkest pain. Even in the pain that you may be unaware of, God is actually present and is here and is ready and willing if you will invite him in. And this is incredibly good news. This is the upside to our pain, is that it is not the end of your story. And it no longer needs to define all of your decisions and relationships and emotions. That God is actually here with you, close to you, and can save you in his way and his time, even in the midst of great pain. Years ago, I remember receiving an email seemingly out of the blue, uh, from someone who had um, heard a, a message that I had given the week before and uh, wanted to give me uh, feedback on it. I didn't ask for their feedback, but they wanted to give feedback. And, you know, that's kind of part of the job, and I actually appreciate that, and it helps shape me and who I am. So I'm like, oh, this is cool, you know. So I kind of give me some notes uh, on, on that sermon. So I started reading through, and then I realized, oh, 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 yeah, no, he's, he's got more than thoughts. Like, there's accusations here. And it was intense. It was very intense. And he was kind of coming after me uh, about things that, you know, he thought I said or thought I believed. And it was a, a lengthy email. It, like, four pages. Like, this wasn't an email. It was an e-book. Okay? It was, a, it was a manifesto of everything that sort of I had done wrong. But it wasn't even just about me, because he was mad about kind of some of the things I had said in my sermon. But then he was kind of just mad about these things in life, and somehow he was mad at our president, and all these things kind of got roped in, and it all sort of came back to this one message I had given. And I'll be honest, at first I was really hurt. I was like, wow, man, are you kidding? What, really? 
man, I wish you would have just talked to me instead of assuming all these things about me and then kind of blasting me in this email. And so I had this real temptation. I had a real strong temptation to just like reply back and just put him on blast and let him know about how wrong he is and how he doesn't know, understand this. And then I remembered, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I can't really <laughs> do that. And if I did that, I certainly wouldn't tell you. And so I was like, okay, I can't do that. I can't, no, just, I can't do that. And so then I thought, well, I'll just, I can just delete it and just be like, mark him as junk mail and never receive anything from him again. But I thought, you know, that's not, that's not fair to this guy. And, and I, don't, I don't even know who this guy, I don't even know who this guy is. So I took it to my boss. I'm like, what, what should I do with this? I don't know. This email, and I kind of laid, like printed it and, you know, it took half a ream of paper and I kind of laid it down. I was like, what do I do with this? And he goes, uh, well, who's it from? And I showed him the name. He goes, oh, yeah. I wondered if it was him. And yeah, this is kind of his thing that he does. You're, you're, you're not the first one. I've gotten them. You're not going to be the last one. It's really sad. And then my tone, my spirit towards this guy that I didn't even know began to change because my boss said, you know, it's really sad, actually. He's just a really, really hurting guy. And this is how he takes it out on people. Just a really hurting guy. And this is sort of how he directs the hurt that he doesn't know what else to do with in his life. And then he said this little phrase that caught me off guard, but it gave so much context to what happens to us when we don't invite God into our pain. How we end up remaining where we're at in our pain. He said this phrase, and maybe you've heard it before. He said, you know, the truth is, Jared, hurt people. Anyone know? Hurt people. Hurt people. Hurt people. And I thought, oh, that's brilliant. Let's put that on a bumper sticker, stat. It's a terrible bumper sticker, but it's a great slogan. It's a great idea. Hurt people hurt people. People who've been hurt and, and have achieved, because that's all of us. We've all been hurt at some level. But when we don't invite God in, guess what we do? We take it out on you. If I don't invite God in, I take it out on you. And that's, in a way, what this guy was doing, and that's, in a way, what I do. I'm just as capable of hurting others in my own hurt. When I don't invite God in and direct that to the right place, hurt people, hurt people. But then you know what's really actually, you know what's really interesting? That upside to pain and hurt in our life is that the inverse is actually just as true. Yes, hurt people hurt people. But healed people heal people powerful but simple phrase. So much truth. Healed people actually have the power and potential from God to heal people. Hurt people are going to hurt people. Hurt spouses, hurt spouses. Hurt parents, hurt kids. Hurt employees, hurt other employees. Hurt bosses, hurt their employees. Hurt people are going to hurt people until they know where to take their pain. But healed people can actually heal people that you can actually be a part of the healing process that God wants to do in someone's life from the lowest point of your life, from the place where you received healing from God. This is the upside of pain, that God not only can heal you, he's not only close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit, but he actually then in turn takes the healing that we have received from him and offers it to others through our story. What a good God to come up with that strategy. What a good God to come up with that kind of strategy. The Bible talks about this in a passage I want us to look at just for a few moments, and I have some thoughts of how we can apply that in our own lives and in each other's lives. So if you would grab a Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab a blue Bible. 
And I ask everyone to do this. We really believe that this uh, is transformational truth that changes our life. And if you're serious about investigating God and you've got questions, this is a great place to start. So grab a Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It's page 803 in the Blue Bible. We're going to read along. I want you to grab a pen because there's a couple phrases in here that are pretty eye-opening and transformational. And, and maybe, just maybe, you'd never heard this before. And so I want to kind of walk through this passage together. Let me give you some quick context because we never come to anything in the Bible as an isolated thing into and unto itself. There's always something else going on. And so what the else that's going on here is that this is a letter written from the Apostle Paul, wrote about half the New Testament, and he's writing it to a church. The name of this book is called 2 Corinthians. Uh, the name of this city that the church was in was the city of Corinth. as a kind of vast metropolitan city, and so in the middle of that is this, is this uh, church that actually had grown quite large, but it suffered some um, real division in their church. There was some kind of false teaching, and people kind of taking things into their own hands and forgetting Jesus and trying to add their own stuff to it. And, and so Paul had gone to visit them and correct them, and things got worse. And so like he's just frustrated with this church, but he hears that there's actually uh, seeds of redemption and repentance that are happening within this church. And so that's where he writes this letter to them from. In fact, Paul had already himself suffered his own pain and his own sort of, he had suffered beatings just for being a Christian. He was literally beat up regularly for being a Christian, imprisoned and tried and all kinds of things thrown at him because he was a Christian. So having experienced his own pain and suffering, speaking to a church that was kind of on the rocks, he says these words to them, and I believe to you and me, in the midst of our pain and loss in our lives. Listen to what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at these next couple phrases. The Father of what? The father of compassion. That the whole idea of compassion was given to us by God. That it starts with and comes from him. He's the inventor of compassion. And the God of all what? Comfort. He's the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Now look at what he does. Who comforts us in our troubles. And this is what we just looked at. This is what we see the psalmist speak about. This is what the Bible speaks to is that God is close to the brokenhearted, saves those who are crushed in spirit. Paul says, you already know that, right? He is the one who comforts us in our troubles. Active. He comforts us in our troubles. But look at what Paul adds here. Look at the purpose that can come from our pain. He says, so that it's not just an end unto itself, but the comfort that we receive from God becomes a means because he says, so that we can, what's the word? We can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Wait a second, what? That, that he says, look, you already know that God is the one who created compassion, tenderness, care, love. These are all him. These are always, always, already God. That's who he is. And he's going to comfort you. He's going to be with you. He's closer than you think. Paul says, here's the deal. As he's doing that, this is the other bigger thing that he's doing. This is how he's giving purpose even to your pain is so that you can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that you are actually receiving from God. Because he goes on to say, just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Paul says, because of who Jesus is and what he's done, God is not only going to comfort us, but comfort others through us. This is only God, only God can come up with that kind of idea 
That we would not just be about our eyes being just only on our pain, but that we would lift our eyes up and see that God is closer than we think. And as we lift our eyes up, we see others around us who need the comfort and healing that we are actually receiving from God. In fact, the truth is that our world is desperately dependent on the help and the hope and the healing and the comfort and compassion that comes from God. And if you don't receive it from him for your pain, you have very little to offer this world. I'm sure your answers are well-intentioned, but they fall flat. But your compassion that comes from your own brokenness and pain is a gift to a hurting world. God comforts others through the comfort that you have actually received. And I got to see this in real time play out in this last round of small groups. We talk a lot about small groups around here because we really believe that real transformation happens best in circles, not just in rows like this. And so in our small group, uh, there are a couple guys, in fact, three guys, uh, who all, all their wives got pregnant around the same time. There was something in the water in Lake Michigan where, the, like, and it's a small group, right? And so, and all these guys were, you know, kind of a little bit, you know, older. And so a couple of these guys were like, oh, but this was not sort of that story. They were hoping to get pregnant and they, and they got pregnant. And, and, uh, and so all these guys are sort of having babies around the same time. And one of them was my friend David. He's my neighbor and he's part of our church, been a part of our small group for about a year or so. And he was so excited to, to have a boy. They have a daughter, Rosie, and he and Katie were so excited about having a boy. And they were going to name him Lincoln. And there's, you know, there's, everything is great. His room's all done. Everything's set up. The showers have been thrown. Everything's great. And so they have Lincoln. And within hours of sort of the elation of his arrival, the doctors say, oh, we need to talk to you. There's been some complications. And maybe you've, like in Josh's story and in David and Katie's story, you've had to sit across from a doctor who has to break something to you that you weren't prepared for or wanting to hear. And the doctor said, there's something just kind of off in his insulin levels, and it, it looks like he's, he might be producing too much insulin, almost like the reverse of diabetes. And we're concerned. And so we just want to keep him over for another couple nights. Well, a couple nights turned into a couple weeks. And they just wanted to hold their baby boy. They just wanted to take him home. They'd have a couple minutes a day where they could actually hold him and touch him. And the pain of sitting with David in those waiting room, the hospital lobby, and just the crying out to God, like, why, why? I don't understand, I don't understand. And just sitting with him and trying as best I can from what I've invited God to into in my own story, just be with him and offer comfort that I've already received from God as best I can. And what ended up happening was they had to take uh, little baby Lincoln from here in Chicago to the best doctors here to the best doctor in the nation at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia that could deal with this sort of stuff. And they ended up spending months there. About the first three or so months of Lincoln's life, uh, he was hooked up to something at all points in the day. And what I got to watch was this principle from this passage lived out. I got to watch a group of guys, as best we can, come around David. And anytime he would sort of fly back and have to come back for his job, he made a point to come to our small group. Of all the things he had to do in these short trips back from Philadelphia, he would come to our Friday morning small group. And I watched guys as best we could love on him and be present with him and offer to him what we have received or are receiving from God. And I'm telling you, I'm like, it is one of the best commercials for a small group I could ever give you that there's a circle of people who are there to carry your burdens with you. 
all, Bible study, all the accountability, all that stuff is so great. But when you find a circle of people who are willing to walk with you through the difficulty and complexity and pain and loss of life, those people are gold. And they are very treasured in your life. And I got to be a part and watch that happen. I was so proud of the guys in our group who did that around David. But then God surprised me even more. Uh, Lincoln eventually came home and he's doing fantastic now. And he's, I mean, just right back on the charts and doing great. And everything's going well now. Many months later, many, many months later. And they wanted to have uh, their family dedicated here at Soul City Church just a few short months back in the early part of the summer. And so as I met with David and Katie to walk through their family dedication, my whole time in sitting with them was to ask how they were doing. How are you guys doing? What do you need? How, where are you at? What's going on? And you know what was so amazing? I watched them in the comfort they had received from God already have their hearts turned to others out of compassion. And all they wanted to talk about was a couple of the families that they had to leave behind in Philadelphia. And they were kind of pulling supplies together and kind of starting a prayer chain to pray for other families just weeks after arriving back home with their boy, after months of being in the hospital, I watched as they had received comfort in a very dark and difficult hour, already be willing and joyful to offer it to others. This is what happens. This is what happens when we take our pain to God and invite him in. He not only comforts us, but comforts others through us. This is real transformative healing. This is how we become like uh, Henry Nouwen writes about. We become like wounded healers. There's something really powerful about wounded healers. None of us ever really trust someone who seemingly has it all together on the surface, do we? But people who come to us aware of their own story and their own pain and their own loss and who have invited God into it have a power to speak into our lives. And we can become like wounded healers who offer comfort to others that we have actually already received from God. The struggle of weeks and weeks and months in waiting rooms becomes a strength for others who are in the same season. The pain of a lost job becomes a place of healing for someone else who's suffering their own little loss. The heartache from the death of a dream or, or of a relationship or of a picture you had for your life becomes hope, actually, for someone who cannot see out past the fog that surrounds their life. I wonder who God has around you whose healing will come from yours. I wonder who God has around your life, in your circle, in your family, in your small group, at work, sitting right next to you right now. I wonder who's healing, who's carrying a pain and a loss in them, whose healing will actually come from God's healing work in your life. Every one of us is guaranteed to suffer some form of pain in our lives. We just can't avoid that. But some of us will become wounded healers and offer to others the healing and hope that we have first received from God. Well, as sort of God would have it, as I was preparing well, this, our time for the, this weekend, I got another email. And as I started off reading into it, I thought, oh, I th yeah, I think I kind of, okay, I think I sort of know where this is going. And I knew who it was from. It's from someone I sort of know tangentially, like a friend of a friend. And uh, 
she had uh, moved to Chicago for just a few months as part of a job transfer where she was at previously, um, she had poured her life into. I mean, had a strong faith community there, had friends that she deeply loved, friends that were close to them, family there, had a purpose to her life there. Like, it was a really sweet spot. And then just through sort of circumstances beyond her control, had to transfer out to the West Coast and so had a little short stint where she was here in Chicago. And she knew of us, and so she came to Soul City Church in a really low and really dark and difficult place in her life. And she sat in these, in these rows, in these seats. And she sent me this email this week, months after she'd already moved on uh, to sort of her next place, but she said this, and I wanted to read it to you. She said, this was really a, a hard time for me in my life. As I was grieving, leaving, and my life and the people there that had become family to me, she said, I had, I had no idea what God was doing in my life. And I was living with so much uncertainty, and I just kept wondering why God had moved me out of this place and these people that I loved so much. And she said, during that time, I visited Soul City several times and would end up just crying my eyes out every time. I'd have to sit in the auditorium for several minutes once the service was over to collect myself just so I could walk out into the lobby. And then this is what got me. Not once, not once, did anyone come to me and ask me if I was okay. Or did anyone offer to pray for me? And she went on to write the rest of the email with a ton of grace. Loves our church but was in a really hard and difficult place and was desperate for some ounce of hope from God, some little glimmer of healing in her life in this difficult season. And not once did our church come and sit around her, put an arm around her, just ask, are you okay? Is there anything you need? And I know it's real easy to sort of say, well, that's what we do the prayer time for afterwards. Well, that's part of why we do that. And that's a few people. But the invitation for any one of us who's serious about having a relationship with God is to become wounded healers to each other. And again, she had a ton of grace and said, look, I know how hard it is for, you know, churches to sort of be that way. And I think you have a really welcoming church. And, you know, as I'm reading this, I'm like, I agree. I think we have a really warm and welcoming church. But I don't want a welcoming church. I want a loving church that loves people, even if you don't know them. Because they may be in the darkest hour of their life. And their hope and healing and comfort may come from what you have already received from God. It's not okay to say it's someone else's job. It's not okay for my eyes to stay stuck on my own pain and stay stuck in my own story. That God has healing for you, but it's not just for you. That your healing is not an end to itself, but could quite possibly be a means to healing for someone else. I don't want anyone to ever sit in our church alone crying ever again. Ever again. And that may have been you. And if you sat here and wondered, will anyone notice me? Will anyone care for me? I am sorry. We will do better. And so now I'm talking to those of you who call yourselves Christians. If you're not a Christian, the heat's off. Check your email. Zone out for a second. I'm talking to those who call themselves followers of Jesus. This is not okay. Because you are going to be that person sitting in the auditorium at some point in your life 
or you're going to be the person sitting out on a couch, or you're going to be the person sitting in a small group, and you are going to desperately desire the kind of loving community that comes around you even in your darkest hour. And if there's any place in the world that can actually get this right, it's the church. If there's any place for us to practice this and figure it out together, it is the church. This is where we learn to offer each other what God has already offered us so that we can offer it to the world around us, so that you can offer it to your coworkers, so that you can offer it to your neighbors, so that you can offer it to your family and to your friends. This is the invitation for every single one of us who would call ourselves a Christian is to become a wounded healer because here's the difference about you know, this whole Christian faith, the difference that separates it from every other major world religion, the difference that it is actually all built upon is that we actually have relationship with a wounded Savior. Very important that we are invited into relationship with a wounded Savior, one who is familiar with pain and loss and betrayal, abandonment, rejection, people being confused about who he was, people hanging their hopes and expectations on him, people literally, physically beating him, spitting on him, and nailing him to a cross. We have relationship with a wounded Savior. This is why what we looked at last week with Thomas is so important. When Jesus comes to Thomas, he doesn't just say, look at me. He says, see my wounds. See my wounds. I know I have healing and hope for you because I actually am the one who bore the pain, the real pain, the weight and totality of depravity known as sin. I took those wounds so that you could be healed and become a wounded healer to others. This is who Jesus is and this is what sets him apart from every other major faith system is that we have relationship with a wounded Savior. The prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus, would tell of who this Savior is. He wrote, surely he took up our pain. And by took up, it means literally up onto a cross. He took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God and stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced, literally, for our transgressions, our sin. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that, he, that brought us peace was on him. That punishment that ultimately brought us peace was on him. And, listen to this, by his wounds we are healed. By his wounds we are healed. Just about every other faith religion, just about every other voice in this world says, you got to do something about your pain. But Jesus says, no, I will do something about your pain. I will be the one that will ultimately take it upon myself so that you can be healed, but not just so that you can be healed, so that you can be a healer, a wounded healer in a world ravaged by sin, wrecked by sin. And so my question for you as we spend some moments reflecting and ultimately worshiping this wounded Savior, it's just two questions for you to consider and wrestle with this week. What are the wounds or pains in your life that you have sort of held on to on your own? 
or maybe that you've been largely unaware of, but as you look at sort of the trajectory of your life and the way that you make your decisions and the way that relationships end up, if you were to kind of do some honest assessment and soul searching, you would probably trace it back to some pain that has yet to be dealt with with God, some wound that has yet to be healed. Again, God heals in his way, in his time, but it can begin today. Your healing can actually begin today. You don't have to carry this on anymore, and you don't have to take it out on the rest of us anymore. You can actually receive that healing from God today. So what are the places that maybe you've been holding on to, the walls that you've built up in your heart, the places where you are stuck emotionally, relationally, ultimately spiritually with God? And would you have the courage to say, okay, God, I am here. And those may be the only words you can utter to God. There's a season in my life where the best I could say, the best prayer I could say to God was to sit down and say, I'm here. And I believe that you're here. And I don't know what to do next, but I know that you do. And so I am here. And maybe today you need to go back to that divorce. You need to go back to that abusive relationship. You need to go back to that place of fear and abandonment and rejection. Maybe you thought you'd sort of put it in its right place, but you never fully brought it to Jesus. And so this morning, would you be willing to lay all your cards on the table with him and say, okay, I am here. And I believe that you are close to me and you can save me even though I'm crushed in spirit. So what do you need to bring to him? And then, and then the second question is simply this. This is what gives purpose to our pain. This is where God not only restores, that means brings back to what was right, but redeems. That means makes good on our pain. This is the upside of pain is that God has actually, my, my hunches, put people around you whose healing will come from your healing. And so who are the people around you that you know are carrying a deep burden or in a deep, dark place? And it's easy to kind of judge them. Like, oh, they're just kind of making, they're just, they're hurt people, hurt people. And so you can kind of just throw them off like that. But, or maybe God has them around your life because there's some healing that's going to come through you and your story. And God wants to redeem your pain. So would you be willing to lift your eyes up this morning? see how close God is and to see those that he's put around you. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to respond to God as best we can from where we're at. My hope and prayer is that as you do, you would experience the closeness and presence of God and be reminded of his goodness or maybe informed for the very first time that he is actually here and he's with you and for you and is ready to move in and through you even in your darkest places. So if you would, as a posture of prayer, I'd ask if you would open your hands up and place them in your lap. You're going to open them up and place them in your lap. Just as a symbol, just as a posture to say, God, I'm here. I'm here. I've been holding on to these things, this bitterness. I've been holding on to it for so long. My, you know, dogged desire to be right, I've been holding on to it so long. I release it because I want healing. I want healing for this wound. And I want to be able to offer that to others. So if you'd open your hands and let me pray for you right now. And then we'll respond to this Jesus together. Jesus, thank you that you are truly our wounded Savior. That you are the one who bore the pain of sin so that we could have the hope of healing. You are the one who bore all of the injustice of this world. You literally took it upon yourself. And not only that, you were literally pierced 
crucified for us, and you did it willingly. In fact, the scriptures say that you even did it joyfully. You took it all on because you knew that it would lead to our healing, and we don't want to walk past our wounded Savior today. We want to become the wounded healers that you long for us to be, that our world so desperately desires. And God, I pray for this church that we would practice here today that we'd be willing to get around a circle of people and say, I'm here, and here's where I'm at, and here's what I need, and that we would offer that to each other, that we wouldn't let a single person sit in tears by themselves, but that we would come as best we can and bring the comfort that you have already brought to us. God, I pray that we would come to you as our healer, because we believe that is who you are, and that all that we need is in you, and that nothing will suffice. All that we need and all that we have is in you. And so, Jesus, we sing and respond to you, our wounded Savior. In your name, amen.